Welcome to Let Go Lean In, a podcast of resources for your journey of transformation. What kind of transformation? The wholehearted kind, personal, professional, and spiritual. Each week, you'll hear different transforming practices to help you on your journey of becoming more fully you. We'll hear from others about their own journeys, learning to let go of habits and patterns that no longer serve them, and how they're practicing leaning forward to the wise woman God has designed. I'll occasionally include a book recommendation because, well, that's part of how I'm wired. I love ideas and encouraging others to learn and grow. Thanks for being here. Well, welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Let Go Lean In podcast. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to someone that I've become acquainted with through this season of life. And you've heard me talk about the Sage Forum before and the Perennial Gen. And this is Dorothy Littell Greco. Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I loved our writing seminar that was offered that one Saturday and just hearing from you. Uh, it was both comforting and encouraging. And so that's why I reached out right away to see if you would be willing to come and, and speak to my listening audience, because I think you have lots to offer us. Thank you. And, and because of that, I want you, the listener, to really, uh, you know, get your seatbelt secured because Dorothy's bio is written in the first person and you can get a flavor of her writing style just through listening. So here we go. I'm a storyteller. Sometimes I use words and sometimes I use images. I pay attention to what happens on the sidelines and in the margins. I feel compelled to challenge hypocrisy, mend broken systems, and reveal beauty. Practically speaking, that means my work is fiercely honest and sometimes confrontative. I am like cilantro. You either really appreciate what I bring to the table or prefer to avoid it. My goal is to point readers and viewers toward hope and healing. My writing has been featured in Christianity Today, Missio Alliance, Common Good, Mops, Relevant Magazine, Christians for Biblical Equality, The Mudroom, Sojourners, Biola Center for Marriage and Family, Christine Kane's Propel Women, Perennial Generation, and the Inglewood Review of Books. Making Marriage Beautiful, my first book, was published by David C. Cook in January of 2017. My second book, Marriage in the Middle, was published by InterVarsity Press in September of 2020. Past and present photography clients include the National Geographic, New England Home Magazine, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Boston Globe, Yankee Magazine, Mass General Hospital, Harvard University, Boston University, Knopf Publishers, Lexington Christian Academy, Boston Trinity Academy, Arnold Arboretum, Houghton Mifflin, and many more. I have won awards from Communication Arts Photography Annual and National Press Photographers. I'm a member of Redbud Writers Guild and the Pelican Project. My husband Christopher and I have been married for 31 years. 
We have three grown sons and two amazing daughters-in-law. We love kayaking, walking, traveling, seeing great theater, and talking about faith with friends. I love all of the breadth of your storytelling, both in words and in images. Such a beautiful representation of the work that you've done. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. And, and our lives, you know, we, we do these things as we're moving along and we come to this season and we look back and say, wow, there's, there's been a full complement of experiences. And so I'm sorry, my pup is down here. I'm not sure what he's trying to get into the sunshine. I think it's been cold here in California, unseasonably cold, but anyway, sorry about that. Um, one of the things that stood out to me in our experience together in writing was your authenticity. Mm. And I loved how in, in your bio, you said, I'm like cilantro. You either like me or you avoid me. <laughs> and that's that's such a beautiful word picture because I do know people that are like cilantro tastes like soap. I will not have anything to do with it. And then there are others like, I can't get enough on my tacos and all right. this kind of stuff. So great word picture. Mm-hmm. And this course of your life, um, the photography, storytelling and and words, how have you come to this place where, you know, I'm, I told you before we got on that I am so enjoying reading your second book, Marriage in the Middle, because that's where I am. And, and how did you hone in to marriage as part of your storytelling? I think that Christopher and I really, about five years into our marriage, started supporting, actively supporting other married couples. Um, You know, I was older when I got married. I was almost 31. So five years in, I was 36, right, which is a lot older than many couples who are just starting out. So he, as a pastor, he's always worked as either pastor or teacher or both in some seasons. Um, You know, it's often a two for one where the spouse's wife um, is along or spouse's husband, you know, because sometimes women are pastors too, um, is along for the ride. And we just really found that we loved doing premarital classes together. That was one of the earlier things we did. We've done long-term healing and discipleship programs. So anytime Mm. we can be in a room with people who really want to grow and really want to find healing, um, that's exciting to us. Mm. The marriage books, really, it was not like I've always wanted to do these. I think when um, it was, so I wrote the first one when I was in my mid-50s. Mm-hmm. And we were just seeing that there were a lot of couples who were really struggling. Um, I think in the Christian community, there's this expectation that marriages are doing fine. You know, if you're, if you're still married, you're doing fine. <laughs> and that's a pretty low bar. So we really, the two of us felt like we wanted to... Um, raise people's expectations for what marriage could be. Mm. Christopher and I have a really good marriage. It is not perfect. And in fact, I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect marriage because we are not perfect people. I was just going to say two people are involved in a marriage and ergo. (laughs) And Christopher and I are very, very different people. Um, I remember when we took the premarital Myers-Briggs, I think it was, you know, we were actually off the charts on opposite directions on many, many, many topics. Mm -hmm. So we've had to work very hard to make our marriage what it is today. And knowing that and knowing that other people were in need, I think just really motivated me to share some of the things that I feel like I've learned in my own marriage, but also in ministerial settings. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of the 
the big backstory. Then for yeah. marriage in the middle, you know, I'm now in my early 60s. Um, the highest rate for divorce for married couples in the United States is actually in midlife. It is not 50%. I want to debunk that myth. It is not 50%. It has never been 50%. So don't get freaked out and think you only have a 50-50 chance. You have a much greater chance than that. However, there's clearly something going on in midlife that makes it difficult for us to continue to love each other well. Mm -hmm. um, and prior to writing this book, we had three friends, all of whom had been married for more than 25 years, all solid believers whose marriages just completely unraveled in the course of like two years. And it was really destabilizing for us. Um, mm -hmm. You know, anytime a marriage falls apart, it doesn't just affect the two people and the, the kids or the immediate family, right. anybody in the community, anybody who's a close friend of them, of, of theirs is going to be deeply affected by um, a marriage's failure. So then that just got me thinking, well, what is really happening in this season? Um, I read Barbara Haggerty's book. Um, I'm going to forget the title of it now, but it was about midlife. Mm. Life, life Reimagined, I think is the title. And, and that just started to get me think like, okay, what are the specific things that I can focus on, that I could do research on that might help married couples in this time frame to really understand what's coming if they're not quite there yet, understand what they're experiencing if they don't have language for it, and then have very specific tools to work towards improving their marriage. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm finding as I'm reading this, this very specific tools. My husband and I, like you and Christopher, are opposites on Myers-Briggs completely, <laughs> i.e., <laughs> uh, PJ, you know, everything in between. Actually, yeah. that's not true because I have changed as the years have gone by. And I was an ESTJ when we first got married. 10% of the people that 90% hate, that's what <laughs> yeah, that's what the Myers-Briggs joke is on ESTJs. But over time and through life experiences, mm -hmm. I have settled into who I truly am. I was living outside of myself. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I am now NF, so ENFJ. So we share that space now, right. but we didn't at the beginning of our combative marriage. <laughs> so right. I, yeah. I, and I know that this is, this is something um, that is, is true for so many authors that we write what we wish we would have had in a particular season. And I'm, I'm curious as you have researched and written, do you see how your marriage maybe is more flourishing as you knew you were writing a tool that would be helpful to these folks, you know, could have been helpful. Yes. Yes. And I would say one of the things that has been most helpful for me, and I can't say that this would be true for anybody else. Um, but as I'm writing the book on marriage, you know, I feel like, well, gosh, I darn well better have integrity about the things that I'm writing. Right. Yeah. So if yeah. I'm saying that this is Pressure's what it means to love well, I better be loving well. Um, so there really was like a built-in accountability for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that was true for Christopher, but for me, it, if he said like, you know, you can keep writing marriage books if you want, because you're a better wife when you write them. <laughs> um, so I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? Like I really right. want to embody the things that I'm talking about. 
And I guess um, one of the things that's been most helpful for me is to really be paying attention. I think that it's easy for us after we've been married you know, 20, 25, 30 years to just think like we got it yeah. and, and, and coast. Oh, good word. Yeah. Just, but we really have to, there's an intentionality that I think um, we have to bring to midlife and beyond because, you know, if we were parents, most of the time, our kids have moved on. Um, our bodies are changing, the way we look at the world has changed. And so if we don't consistently come together and say, how are you doing in this season? How are we doing in this season? What kind of support do you need from me now? Not what did you need from me five years ago? But what do you need from me now? And then to make these kind of recalibrations and adjustments so that we can be supporting each other well. Yeah. Oh, that's so good to be intentional and to pay attention there. Those are, you know, you can notice something, but do nothing about it. Right. So you can see without intention, but to be in the moment, even what do you need today? Both sides, not what I'm hearing from you is this is a co-exchange, not simply what a woman needs to do in a marriage to make the marriage work because many books from a faith perspective unfortunately have landed on me it's, it's like it's not my job to make this marriage work only right and and that's what i've loved about reading what you have written it's obviously an exchange and not a one-way street. So thank you for that reality. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, I, think that I appreciate that cilantro. <laughs> <laughs> the um, first book, Making Marriage Beautiful, focused on that more, like the reality that we can't, mm. we can't change our spouse. Like we can love yeah. them, we can pray for them, we can support them, but we cannot make our spouse change. Right. So what does it look like for us to do the hard work of changing and adjust, adjusting and adapting and continuing to love, like not giving up, right? That's one of the things that I think is is very present in midlife is that we are face to face with the reality of, oh my gosh, this thing that my spouse does that drives me absolutely crazy might never change. Mm-hmm. And how do I feel about that? Like, can yeah. I continue to love him? Can I continue to draw close to him? Or am I gonna be so offended that I'll pull away and withdraw? And it's a very real temptation that I think we face and one that if we don't face soberly and with the presence of the Holy Spirit to empower us, we can really just say, that's it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And that's, and, and like you said earlier, that seems to happen more than we'd like to acknowledge. And, and it, I don't want to oversimplify because we, we don't know what everyone carries in a relationship, but those very two simple actions, paying attention and making an intentional effort can can bring us to having a conversation about a hard topic that we've avoided yes. uh, for years because of the distractions of parenting and, you know, caring for parents in that season, you know, and all of those kinds of things, those that we set aside, they're still there. And mm-hmm. A thriving marriage is one that actually will turn the gaze, right? And and say, you know what, this this is an area that we keep tripping over or whatever. Let's what can we do to support one another? When you when you have um 
well, I shouldn't assume, are you still in opportunity, you and Christopher, to speak into young, younger married folks' lives? Are you doing that kind of ministerial work? We do um, marriage coaching. So we see a few oh, couples throughout nice. the year, but we haven't actually done a premarital class now for a long time. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate because, again, that was one of the things that we really enjoy. So there's a lot of, you know, pastoring for me via conversations online, via my writing. But in terms of formally sitting with a group of young couples, um, not as much, unfortunately. Well, it's nice that you have the opportunities that you do to, you know, speak into somebody's life through writing, through, you know, online opportunities that that can allow people to connect with their awareness because that's that's the first step to change. I, yeah. I just hang on to that. We have to become aware of something, not asleep to it in order for us to take any action steps to to you know even simply acknowledge that oh yeah this is a this is a behavior and and to that end i i don't want to like just talk about your book but what i i mentioned before we started our conversation i was really struck by the ideas that you included about attachment theory and and I know that that is not your area of expertise, but as you were researching that is more my question. Was was that a new learning or was that something that you knew about and wanted to intentionally include in, in your work? So I'm a total attachment junkie. Oh, good. Say more because I'm at the, the edge and just going, who should I read first? <laughs> so. In the long-term healing and discipleship programs that Christopher and I do, one of the, typically one of the most powerful lessons is on the mother wound. Mm -hmm. And what we talk about in that is very connected to attachment. Um, the notion that if our mothers were not present for any number of reasons, it could have been health issues, it could have been because, you know, somebody else got sick or she had another baby, but in those first um, up to three years, like we really form, it's important that we form an attachment, a really tight and secure attachment with our mothers or caregivers. You know, sometimes it's a dad, but oftentimes it's mom. Um, and when we form that attachment, what we learn is that needs are good, that needs draw us into relationship, which is something that I think many people, even as adults struggle with, like that feeling of it's not okay to be needy and it's not okay to admit my needs to other people because that will make me offensive to others. In attachment theory, the opposite is true, right? It's it's when a baby cries and somebody comes and consistently cuddles the baby, holds the baby, feeds the baby, provides for their needs, the child learns I'm good, needs are good, and needs draw me into relationship. Mm -hmm. So when we have that kind of a really secure bond with um, a parent or parental figure early in life, you know, and then oftentimes when individuation happens in the three to four is sometimes earlier, um, the child shifts to the opposite gender, opposite sex parent, and the attachment forms there as well. So if we come into adulthood and we don't have those kind of secure attachments, we can still be trying to meet those attachment needs in the context of adult relationships right. and things get really messy. Um, one of the ways that it plays out is in conflict. So if you are somebody who's insecurely attached and you're married to somebody else who's insecurely attached, but you are insecurities manifest differently. For some people, it's just like running away and fleeing. And for other people, it's pursuing. And right. oftentimes those two people are married to each other. Yeah. 
because God in his great humor and mercy, you know, wants us to learn how to grow. So the reality is it's so confusing because one person is pursuing and saying, and this was true in our marriage, like Christopher is the one who was pursuing and saying like, we got to talk about this. We need to, we need to sit down right now. We need to figure out what's going on. And I'd be like, I don't even know what I feel. Please don't make me talk about this right now because it's too scary because I feel like conflict triggers my abandonment issues. So leave me alone. And we would just like chase each other um, until we finally figured out like, oh my gosh, we have completely different insecure attachments and they're triggering each other. Mm -hmm. So when couples can, you know, learn these things. And I know that many, I don't know why, but many Christians seem to be a little afraid or suspicious of these kind of attachment theories, sociological things. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of truth to it. Mm-hmm. So studying this, you know, early on, it was just applied to children. But then in the past, I would say like 10, maybe 15 years, they've begun, you know, people have begun to realize this is really a factor for many relationships. Right. Um, and there have been multiple books that have come out on it uh, that I think can be super, super helpful. So anytime a couple particularly has really, really challenging conflicts, one of the first things that I think about is, well, let's talk about attachment and let's mm-hmm. see if that might be um, what's happening. Yeah, I, I, I have so much to say about this because <laughs> in, my, in my own experience, you know, in my lived experience, your relationship with Christopher, I'm Christopher, my okay. husband is you. And, and we identified that as we were reading this, this mm-hmm. uh, chapter and we've been married. It will be 32 years this year. <laughs> mind blown. Right? Yes. Mind blown. And, and it was, you know, part of me always said, oh, it's the introvert extrovert thing. Mm-hmm. It's he needs more time for processing, you know? So I learned to make space yeah. over the years, but learning about attachment and the styles of insecure attachment, because there's more than one. It's not just secure, insecure. And I know that you know that. And and yet for my listeners, the fact that there are three different ways of being insecure, and then now there are even, uh, which I haven't taken yet. Everybody knows I'm an assessment junkie, but <laughs> there's apparently an online assessment where you can identify your insecure attachment style. In any case, it is fascinating to me, and and I'm of the mind that God allows the study of our body, our mind, our emotions, as the years go by, new things are revealed. And this is not uh, anti-biblical. No. And, and I, to your earlier point, that some people push away from these things, I... I identify that as needing certainty. And mm-hmm. so when there is possibility and new and unknown, that's uncertain. And and so that's I think the reactivity that we see. I I I see it, I hear it in people's conversations. Oh, well, that's what I'm an Enneagram junkie. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how many people push away from that because that's that's not that's not okay and it feels to me we we humans can close ourselves off from learning and growing mm-hmm. 
by not at least entertaining what is this about? Yes. And if we believe that the God of the universe dwells within us in his very Holy Spirit, we do not need to fear. Yes. Because discernment will come in the form of, eh, that's not something. We don't have to close the door. Right. We can let God close the door. <laughs> anyway, there I go. Soapbox, sorry. But I think that all of these things, whether it's Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, whatever, they're tools, right? Absolutely. They're not, they're not gospel. They're not the ultimate truth, but they can point right. us to the truth. And when we're stuck or struggling, they can be tools that help us get unstuck. And for that reason... I think I'm all about, uh, again, you know, learning, having a growth mindset, all those things are really, really key to having a good marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned that you have written for Christine, Christine Kane's organization. And I love a quote of hers that living things grow and growing things change. Mm -hmm. And so Ergo, this is this is a part of our existence. And so our marriages, our relationship to God, our relationships to one another, how do we love well if we're not paying attention right. and being intentional and and taking those action steps that that sometimes, you know, lead to more humility, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> so one of the things that I do talk with people about and i also you know as i coach and as i try to lead myself well is the practice of in that intentional area letting go of something that holds me back can hold any one of us back from being fully who god intends us to be and and there are different practices for first of all paying attention right we've talked about that and being intentional about making change but do you have a particular practice that is helpful to you in letting go of a mindset or a habit whatever it might be i think two two things come to mind off the top of my head first would be forgiveness mm. how utterly essential that is for any relationship but particularly a marriage when you're together so much and there's so many offenses um to not forgive each other fully, I think, is a huge mistake. And it's not uncommon when I, I've actually taught a lot on forgiveness because mm -hmm. that's a, it's a key component of our story. Christopher actually broke up with me. Um, we had been engaged for, I don't know, four or five months. And he broke up with me and refused to talk to me for almost two years. Oh, and wow. during that time... Um, I, I took like five days to do a fast and I felt like what the Lord said in that time, you know, through the, through the spirit, my imagination and the spirit was, you need to forgive Christopher. You need to completely forgive him. You're not going to have any um, promises from me that he's going to come back around uh, if you do this, but I'm just saying, I would like you to forgive him because you're not. Mm. Um, so I began the process of forgiving him. And then, you know, a year later, when he came back to me and said, gosh, I feel stuck and I'd love to have a conversation. Had I not forgiven him, I would not have married him. Mm. Um, and that's a pretty sobering thing to realize that those kind of choices that we make can have such eternal and long lasting consequences. You know, our boys wouldn't be alive. Right. Um, the ministry that we've done all these years wouldn't have happened. I would have just continued as a journalist and probably never even married, to be honest with you. Um, 
So the ongoing process of forgiveness, and it is ongoing, you know, if it's a big event that needs to be forgiven, it might take years. Infidelity is not something that you forgive one time and then you're done with it. Like that requires conversations and therapy. And you might think that you're forgiven and then something comes up and you realize, oh my gosh, I have more forgiveness to do. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that I like to um, talk to people about this is, is to pay attention to the inner monologue that you're having about your spouse or your friend or your mother or whoever it is and if you notice that there's some real negative thoughts or bitterness or resentment or Mm -hmm. um, fault finding then it's very likely that you haven't fully forgiven them so that's just sort of one you know litmus test to pay attention to with regard to forgiveness um and i guess the other thing would be one of the issues that we have really dealt with in the context of our marriage is connected to expectations and disappointment Um, I came in with a lot of expectations about what marriage should look like. Um, Christopher didn't have as many as I do. And I think that that tends to be more, you know, segregated in terms of sex. Women do have more expectations than men do, relationally speaking. Mm -hmm. So when I find myself feeling disappointed on a regular basis, what that typically means is that I've got expectations that are not realistic. So the disappointment can point me back to the expectation and then help me realize, am I expecting something of my spouse that is simply unrealistic based on who he is? Obviously, there are some expectations that we shouldn't let go of, right? Fidelity, honesty, those kind of things like you need to fight for those. But many of the expectations we come into marriage or any relationship with tend to be about um, what is easy for us, what makes us feel comfortable. Um, cultural things that we just feel like, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. Um, And so paying attention to the disappointment expectation and then letting go of expectations that are unrealistic is the other thing that probably is is super helpful. Mm, Those are, those are so practical as well. They're not, you know, you don't have to go out and learn new things. You, you have this within you. Each of us does, but do we pay attention to it? I love that uh, narrative, you know, really using that as a litmus test and being able to recognize, oh, oh, there that is. I, in my work with my clients, we talk about expectations, disappointment, resentment, bitterness. Yeah. And and that bitterness piece could have been prevented if you did this litmus test right. way back. Right. And and that's uh, you know and it is possible to retrain our brains. That's the beauty of of neuroplasticity and so we can change how we think. However, you have it's to slow. It is slow, absolutely. It is slow. Listeners know that it's slow and sometimes it's so slow it's maddening, but you can do it. Yes, you can. And, and so, and one day you'll go, oh, that's not an issue anymore. And you know, that I loved your reality check about infidelity within marriage and, and that it is not forgiveness is not this just bandaid that you put over it. Oh, I've forgiven. And you're eaten up inside mentally, emotionally, it, it really does take time yes. to forgive. And, yeah. and yet, what do they say that you're the one that benefits from forgiveness? Because yeah. the other person may not know if it was an offense in a relationship, not marriage, um, they may never know. And right. so it's up to us individually to make that action 
yeah. a regular practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the passage in Matthew, the 70 times seven, that mm. that could be 70 different people seven times. It could also be 490 times for the same person, right. for the same sense, right? Yeah. Something and like infidelity where trust has been betrayed. It is just, it's a lot of work to get back into a place where you can trust each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is, um, it is worthy work. That's the the best thing I can say about it. Yeah. Um, I want to ask one more question. I'm I'm mindful of our time, and and for those of you listening, I I hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am because it's beautiful to hear the wisdom that you have gained yeah. over the years of of walking with the Lord. And this this question really is, um, you know how. How do you hear the invitation of Jesus to continue on in the work that you're doing? And, you know, like practically, is it through reading scripture? Is it on a walk and and enjoying the way that the light hits the leaves because you're a photographer, you're going to see the things like that? What for you, Dorothy, is the way that you hear Jesus? It's both of those things. Um Nature is really, really important to me. I think that that really is how I found my way to God. Mm. Um, just that. feeling so awed and so inspired mm. by the bigness of nature and by uh, the beauty of it. Beauty is a, is a real draw for me. Mm. Um, I feel like it's a very invitational thing and it draws me in closer to God and closer to other people as well. I love that. Um, Simply being in relationship with someone and knowing the difference between when there is real intimacy and real love going back and forth versus when we're just going through the motions mm. or not really loving each other well. Because both of those things have been true in the context of my marriage. There have been seasons that have been really hard when I have felt like I don't really feel like I love this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you know the the covenant comes in right is that we are able to say i made a promise i made a covenant and if i'm going to believe and trust god and his goodness that he's going to provide everything that i need to continue on in this covenant then right. i need to cleave to him i need to lean into the lord and receive from him so that i can continue to love so being aware of those seasons or those moments those days when i feel like gosh you know there's something amiss here I think is a great motivator to me to do whatever work that needs to be done so that we can get back into a place Mm -hmm. of love and of harmony. Um, I am one of those highly sensitive people. So as soon as something is just a little bit like one degree off center, I can feel it. And I don't have a huge tolerance for ignoring it or letting it go. Like there is a constant need for me to say something, something's going on here. Um, is it me? Is there something I need to confess? Am I withholding from my husband? Or is there an exchange that we had that we haven't talked through? Um, yeah, so just really paying attention to the relational dynamics, I think, is a huge motivator for me. Because to, to have a great relationship is much more fun, is much more enjoyable than to just be going through the motions. Yeah, I love that. The, the fact that the Lord has given you that sensitivity to to notice so quickly mm-hmm. in relationship but also to notice the beauty and be drawn toward and this 
this idea of moving through our lives kind of half awake and 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 not really paying attention we're not really living then and so you've been given this beautiful attentive gift and and it's obvious in the way that you write and i love that and it's also obvious in the way that you are living and so thank you for being such a good model of something that is accessible to all of us. <laughs> so that's that's the beautiful part, right? It's like this is this is not a doctorate. This is something that that we can just do. I'm all about the practical. Yeah, it's great. Well, Dorothy, I am going to make sure that our listeners have access to your website and the beautiful opportunity. If you sign up for Dorothy's newsletter, you're going to get a downloadable handout that will be a free gift to you. And then you can follow her on Twitter. If you're still on Twitter, I am no longer on Twitter, but that's another story altogether. (laughs) And I'm just follow Redbud Writers on Instagram because there are always some beautiful images and links to the writing that that guild is putting out in the world. I know personally, I love reading the different writers and perspectives that they give. So there are lots of ways to connect with Dorothy further, and I will make sure they're in the show notes. And again, thank you for the gift of time today and this conversation. Dorothy, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I felt like we could have gone on for another hour easily. So, oh my goodness, yes, I I had like five questions that came up in our in your answers. Like, well, tell me more about that. And I thought, nope, that's not going to work right now. So maybe we'll do this again another time. Do it again. Yes, I love that because this is the thing that I'm a big fan about is the lifelong learning. And when we find a connection with someone, we can always be learning from one another, and that motivates us to grow. So. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let Go Lean In podcast. I so appreciate you taking the time to listen and engage with the thoughts that come out of my head and into this microphone as well as listening to conversations that I'm privileged to have with other amazing people who are doing great work in the world. I would really appreciate you sharing this episode or other episodes of Let Go Lean In podcast with people who you think would benefit from the information that is being shared here. Also, it's always a great help to others by liking and subscribing to the podcast so that the SEO goes up and Apple podcast and where you listen to podcasts will show the podcast as interesting and available. So please help us out to get the word out by liking and subscribing and coming back next week. Thanks for being here.